0: You guys doing all right today? You guys doing all right today? It's good to see you. Good to see you, man. It's really, really cold outside. I I don't know if you heard me, but I said it's really, really cold outside. It's so cold that, like, I was walking outside and I had my comb and I dropped my comb and I went up to pick it up. When I did, its teeth were chattering. That's how cold it was. I want to apologize for that. So, but I'm glad you're here. Um people ask me about canceling services during, uh, you know, weather. If it's, if it's terrible, if it's really bad, I don't know. You watch the news, but we, we don't cancel services simply because, well, look around you. We got a bunch of crazy people at, at Faith Co. Church. So, uh, you know, if it's, it, but we, my thing is, is I got a four-wheel drive. If I can be here, what happened was years ago, uh, we had service and and it was the worst weather we 've ever had and eleven people I preached to like eleven people, but one person got saved, and that person became an integral part of our church and was tremendous so I, I, if if we have if if people show up for days like this, that means they 're serious if If somebody comes here to get saved on, so anyway, if we can be here we 're going to be here so if if uh you ever hear that but we'll always look on Facebook and always look on the news. We'll let you know by noon on Saturday what we decide to do. So, anyway. So, it, it, and plus, I really like single Sunday weekends because we've, for the last 10 years, we've had two services. So, when we do it like this, it's like old school. You know, it's like old school, it's because you can, you can rel- you know, we're not on a time crunch like we are to get the first service in and out or, or whatever, you know, it's, it's so I kind of like it, so I was uh, sharing with somebody, man, this feels like old school, it's kind of, this is the way church used to be, and I was asking uh, in the back, and I was saying, Karen, does this feel, Karen's our piano player, I said, does it, it feel like old school, I mean, yeah, this is just like old times, just like having service, I said, so since it is old school, is it okay if I preach? For an hour. Is it okay? And she said, You can preach as long as you want, but we leave at noon. So, anyway, <laughs> thank you, Karen. All right. And, and, and 2 Timothy 1 and 8, listen, uh, this is not a, an express message or anything like that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really bringing it today, like I always bring it, simply because I really feel like it's important the things that, that we're going to share today. But in 2 Timothy 1 and 8, we're talking about. The fact that God has called us. The Bible says there that he has saved us and called us not because of anything that we've done. I'm paraphrasing. Let me just read it. He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our our works or not because of anything that we have ever done, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Your calling on your life is so important that God gave that to you before you were born. God had a plan and a purpose for your life. In the past few weeks, we've been talking about what it is to be called. We talked about how we've, we define calling. The, the Greek word for calling is kalesis, which means the purpose of God, that, that you are called to the purpose of God. And we talked about what that looks like within the context of the church and, and how tremendous it is to have a church because God fulfills his holy calling through your life within the context of a local church. It's The best idea for fulfilling his calling in our lives A few weeks ago, we talked about how we were called to evangelism. And let me break right there just for a second. Did everybody get one of those invite cards? Everybody should have got one of those invite cards. If you didn't get one, we have them at FaithGo Info. We're going to have those from here on out. We might tweak them, but we're always going to have invite cards simply because w- when we say that we're called to evangelism, we got to thinking, hey, let's make it easy and let's provide people, let's not just tell people that we're called to evangelism, let's pro- provide tools that makes it useful. So the, all that is is just an invite card to Go Church. It's got our service times or whatever. So you got one. If you need more, let us know. We'll make more. We'll give, we'll, we'll buy more than you can give away, but if you give them away, we'll always provide you with plenty. Is that okay? So keep that in your wallet. Give that to somebody. Give that to a stranger. Give that to someone. Hey, have you, have you heard about, you know, the reason I was thinking about this, Faith Co. Church is the best kept secret in Shawnee. You know, there are still people that don't know about us out here, so that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get the word out about the good that God's doing here at Faith Co. Church. Well, last week we talked about how we are called to generosity. That's not just something that we are, uh, that's not just something that we do, it's who we are. We are called to generosity. Well, today, I'm going to talk about discipleship, how we are called to discipleship, and this is a two-part message. I'm going to actually end it next Sunday. And um, at, at Faith Co. Church, we like to say it like this, and I'm going to break it down here in just a second and talk to you how we are called to make disciples, but we say it like this, a disciple of Christ we're called to make disciples, and we believe that a disciple of Christ is someone that is committed to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. That's the mission of Faith Co. Church. We didn't just come up with that. That is, that is our mission statement, and it's based on what Jesus has called us to do, make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody that's committed to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I guarantee you, before we're done, you're going to look at discipleship very differently. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for bringing us here safely, and thank you, Lord, that we are able to to worship with others, Lord, on this blessed day. Lord, I pray that you will help us to open up our hearts and minds to receive what you want to say to us about discipleship, and may we grow in this calling that you've given to us in Christ's name. And everybody said, I want you to look at your name and say, look, you are called In Matthew 28 and 19, we are given the Great Commission. It's like this. It says this, go therefore and make disciples. I want you to say that with me. One, two, three. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Everybody say teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus was saying this, I have spent time with you. I want you to teach others what I have commanded you to do. Then it goes on to say this. It says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now let me ask you a question. Back up just a little bit there. So what did Jesus tell us to do? I think it's I think it's pretty clear. He said, Go and what? Go and make disciples. Let's talk about what it doesn't say. Or we can just say it like this. Does it say let's go and build churches? doesn't say that, does it? Let's go and start denominations. Let's go and uh, let's have Bible studies. Let's go and let's have prayer meetings. Let's go and let's have worship services. It doesn't say that. Now, those are all functions of a healthy church, so I'm not discounting those things. But what I, I believe what happens many times in church if we, is we have what I call mission drift. Like we forget the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church isn't to have Bible studies, prayer meetings, uh, even do mission work. It's not about those things. It's not about all the things that the church does, although all of those things make up and make a church powerful. But the mission of every church is the mission that was given to us, the clear instructions that we are to go and make disciples. That is the mandate given to every believer, every follower of Christ. He said this to his disciples, and then he said this to about 500 people that were standing around right before he ascended to heaven. So they were very, very clear. Would you agree with that? All right, one person over here, one person over here. You agree with that? It's very clear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that. Now, let's think about this for a second. Go and make disciples. That's pretty concise and pretty simple. I like it. I think of it like this. I heard it explained similar to this. I kind of went off a little bit further, of course, like I do. But it's kind of like this. As your kids get older, you give them instructions about housekeeping. I guess as your kids approach, I don't know, seven, I don't know what it is in your house, they start doing their own laundry, right? Or maybe 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 12, I don't know, whatever it is for you. Your kids start doing their laundry, so you give instructions to them. I want you to think about this. What if you were to say you know, to your son or your daughter, oh, they're 11, 12 years old, hey, I want you to start doing your own laundry. You give them this command. You bring them in, you set them down. Here's what's going to happen. From now on, you're going to be doing your own laundry. And what they do is, you know, instead of actually doing the laundry, you know, instead of actually doing it, they put together a committee of people. And start discussing how to do the laundry. Or they go to conferences. I want you to see this within the context of what we do as far as making disciples. They go to conferences and they go to trainings on how to do laundry. Still not doing any laundry, though. You know, they start Bible studies and start reading and exploring the Bible on what clean living is, really is. But they're still not doing any laundry. They learn and study the Hebrew and the Greek word for laundry. And they can tell you what that word means. And they know it in the Greek. They read books and they listen to podcasts about doing laundry. Still not doing any laundry, though. They watch famous people and they're inspired to do laundry, but they don't do any laundry. They even write beautiful songs and they sing them in in groups of people and put together things and and, and services on on doing laundry. And they sing amongst their friends, but still not doing any laundry. And then you ask them and you remind them that they're supposed to be doing laundry and they ask for your forgiveness. And they say something like, well, I'm really not gifted, you know, in the spirit of doing laundry. At some point, and and maybe they go decades, you told them. They go years without doing laundry, and you commanded them. You say, I want you to do your laundry. They're still not doing it. At some point, you would get them together. You'd set them down, and you'd say, hey, you're making this too hard. It's not that hard. I told you to do your laundry. So here, watch me do this again, and the next time I come, or next time I come in, you better have your laundry done. Sometimes I wonder If that's not, you know, what Jesus is thinking as his last statement, his last commandment, right before he ascended to heaven, right before, the last thing that he said was go and make disciples. And I think about that, I think about how many disciples we make. I mean, individually, how many disciples, and I'm going to define disciples here in just a second, and I'm going to get very practical on what we can do, but how many disciples have I made with my life? Jesus had 12 disciples, and he had about four uh, men, disciples, and he had about four women that he was investing in, and then he had hundreds of people that he invested in, and, and we can see what he did in the church-wide movement throughout the ages, what has happened. I wonder when I leave this life, and I'm, how many disciples I'm going to leave behind, and people are going to have their lives and how they've committed their life to Christ, and what they do beyond me. Let me ask you something. How many disciples are you making with your life? You're, don't 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 I'm not trying to step on any toes. I'm going to make it easy for you and I'm going to talk about it. But the first thing that I want you to realize is this is a command to all of us. There is this command to all of us to make disciples. This there is a command that we are to be fruitful and to multiply. That 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 term, that commandment to be fruitful is multiplication, to reproduce what God has done in your life into another person. That is how we reach our world. If you believe that, say man. So when you talk about evangelism, we're called to evangelism, how that happens, the most effective evangelism and how Jesus told us to do it and how he modeled us to do it is through discipleship, right? It's not about having big services and, 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 and having these big altar calls. That's great. That's an event. But life change happens through discipleship. So the first thing I want to establish is that we are called to discipleship. So what does the disciple look like? And let's talk about why it matters. Years ago, I was talking, and I was teaching about discipleship, and uh, as I was, you know, I was kind of, I was trying to motivate our church, our young church, about discipleship. We, were, we had about 30 people, and uh, I was, you know, as we, was, as we were starting a new church, this is how we would start our church, and I, I talked about discipleship, what it looks like, and there were these two guys in church that were close friends, and, you know, I, I think that they missed the point, but... Like this guy decided to disciple this guy. That's not really what I had in mind. I was hoping that they would find people that weren't, you know, that were on the edges of of, of Christianity or whatever. Find somebody to disciple. But this guy decided to disciple this guy. So they called me over because he was going to talk to me about how he was discipling his friend. And I went over there and, uh, and I looked back in the back room and his buddy was on his knees like this in a karate suit. And he was going like this. And I was like, hey, uh, what are you doing? He said, I'm discipling him. I'm like, what, what, what? how? And he goes, well, I'm taking, through, I'm taking him through a, a process of humility. I'm like, what's he doing? Well, I'm having him sit in that position for 30 minutes in silence. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I don't know if that's what I'm talking about. I don't know. You know, it's, a lot of people think, well, what's discipleship? And is a disciple, let, let me just explain it for a second. Disciple, the Greek word is mathetes, which is simply a learner or a follower. Everybody say follower. A follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle. So it's somebody who follows Christ, learns his doctrines, learns what we believe, and also patterns their lifestyle after. That is a disciple, and we are all disciples of Christ. If you believe that, say Amen. We are all disciples. Of Christ. So here's what it looks like, what Jesus did, and I'm going to cover this over the next two weeks, but I'm going to cover the first one today. A disciple is someone who first loves Jesus. Amen. Loves Jesus. And th- that's kind of the idea of the reason that you will begin to follow Jesus is because you love Jesus. Now, it's about relationship and it's about giving your life to Christ, but the main reason that you follow Jesus is out of out of loving Jesus. Matthew 4 and 18 Jesus calls his first disciples, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and casting a net into the sea, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. He said, follow me, and I will make you. Follow me. And I will make something of your life. I'm going to enhance your life. If you will follow me, I'm going to enrich your life. If you will follow me, I'm going to take you to places that you've never seen. You're going to do some things that you've never done if you will follow me. Now, a lot of times we as individuals have that backwards. We're like, if you will do this, Lord, then I will follow you. But I want to tell you something. He has already taken the first step by giving us the gift of salvation. The next step is up to you to receive that invitation from the Lord, and to receive that invitation is to follow the Lord with your life. Amen? So, But but the deal is, he says, follow me and I will make. I'm going to do something of your life. Think about this. If you're going to be made free, if you're going to be made whole, if something new God is going to do in your life, you're going to have to first follow Jesus and once they followed Jesus he fulfilled his mission through their life he fulfilled their mission through their lives once they begin to follow Jesus but they had to make a decision Jesus invited them but they had to make the decision the bible says immediately they let go of their nets immediately what they they let go of their way of life immediately they let go of what they were doing for a living and began to follow Jesus. Here's Jesus' master plan for starting the world-changing, timeless movement called the church. Here's how he made disciples. And I want you to see this within the context of making disciples for your own life. Okay? Here, this is the point of this. I'm not just telling you this is how Jesus made disciples and this is what we're supposed to do. I want you to see the next few points within the context of, hey, Jesus has called me to make disciples. And here's how it works. Hey, I'm not going to make excuses, I'm going to make disciples, amen? Look at your neighbor and say, make disciples, not excuses. I I I want you to look at this like, like starting tomorrow. God is going to do something in your life. And, and like within the next year, you're going, to dis- make, you're going to make disciples, okay? Now, it's hard to think about that sometimes, but if somebody were to say, here's A, B, C, and it's practical, and it's real life, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not just spiritual, it's something else. I want you to see this within the context of this is something that I'm called to do. This is something that I'm going to do. This was Jesus' plan. Number one, Jesus recruited his followers. He recruited his followers. He did not have a sign-up sheet. He didn't have a list back there for anybody that wants to be my disciple. There's a list back there and there's a scroll and take the feather or whatever and, and write that out because you're going to be my disciple. No, he invited people personally. He hand-selected specific gifted people for certain tasks. And all of his disciples, if you were to lay them out, had different personalities and different gifts. And Jesus hand-selected them. He recruited them and selected them. A lot of times we just think, well, I'm supposed to get a Bible study together. I'm supposed to just get a group of people. And, and, you know, I'm just supposed to be an example. No, it was a mission in his life to hand-select people that were called and were invited and decided to be a part of his life. A lot of times, we're trying to disciple people, and you struggle with this as a minister. You try to disciple people that they're not your people. They're not called to you. God has not called you to disciple people that aren't called to you. Chances are, you can take a look to your left or to your right at work, or some people look at your family. There are people all around you that God has called you to disciple. But there's a massive amount of people that God has not called you to disciple. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. What kind of influence did he have? Thousands. Every time he walked into a city, there were thousands of people all around. Those weren't his disciples. He had a mission. That's, sometimes we're thinking too big. We're thinking that this is much harder than it is. He recruited his followers. Listen, you can't disciple people who aren't called to you. God has called people who are called to you. Now, I've I've had relationships with people that I struggled with and, and tried to force them into something or force them into what God has called them to do. They weren't called to me. I had to learn that God has called me to people, and you'll know when people are called to you. And those people, there are people that are called to you and people that are not. Let me ask you a second. Who do you feel that are people in your life that are called to you, that would walk through life with you or would walk through a season of life with you that that you're a step ahead of them in life or there's some something that you can teach them something that you can pour a little bit of yourself into their life who are those people if, if you can think of people i want to encourage you uh, listen this is a message that you might want to take notes with your phone if you have a, a pencil and paper listen write these down jesus recruited his followers who can you recruit to be your disciple next Jesus invested into his followers. Three years of his life was spent investing into, into his followers firsthand. He, he sent them on practice runs, on the job, on the fly, training. Jesus was better. He, he, a lot of times we do this as leaders. If you're impatient, I can do this better than this person. I would rather just step in here and do this. You know that Jesus was much better than anybody, than any of his disciples, right? Right? He was way better at his ministry than anybody. But he wasn't just trying to do What if Jesus would have just showed up and had his own ministry? What if he, he would have had groupies and fans? He didn't. Why? Because could, it, could he? I'm sure he did have a few groupies and entourage of people that were on the outskirts. You know, people that just wanted to be, follow him for a season. He would run those people off. I can show you in scripture. He would occasionally, he would clear the air and get rid of everybody except for the 12. Why? Because of a long-term mission in his life. Listen, your life isn't just about the here and now. Your life is for the next generations. And what you have to do is you have to make an investment in people. Amen? Jesus invested in his followers. Um, Part of our calling is investing in others what we have been giving. That's discipleship. Part of what God has called you to do is to invest in others what has been given to you. There is a certain makeup of my life. I grew up very conservative Pentecost. And about 24 years ago, and I've seen everything. I was a youth leader. I was a sectional youth leader. Am I saying that right? Section. Sectional youth leader. You can get that word wrong. You get that word wrong. It can be, you know, I was, I was, I was different things in a Pentecostal denomination And then about 20 years old, I shifted to more of a type of church like this. And then about 30 years old, our church changed a lot. And, you know, we're still growing in what God has called us to do. But about every decade, something has been deposited in my life. And God has done some changes. And I had to be open to what God wanted to do. But there has been some, part of my calling is taking what I have been given, what God has deposited in me, and investing that in somebody else for the next generation. Because if I don't take what God has given to me, if you don't take what God has given to you, there is something that has taken you to where you are today. There is a spiritual, uh, there, a spiritual movement that God implanted in your life. There is a spirit of, of it could be of integrity. It could be a spirit of, of godliness. It could be a spirit of excellence. It could be a ton of things that God has deposited in your life to get you where you are. Listen. If you walk through this life and never invest that into somebody else's life, not only does it cheat the next generation, but the next generation, lo- next generation loses what God has done in this generation. We must make an investment into the lives of others if we're going to disciple them. Amen? Next, Jesus imparted into his followers. He imparted. In other words, he transferred his spirit And to the followers. I want to ask you a question. Don't answer this, it's a trick question. Uh, Why do I set it up like that? But when did the disciples receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When did that happen? Now, a lot of times, and what we've been taught is it's Acts, the second chapter, right? When the Holy Spirit, they came, you know, they went into the upper room. But actually, in John, the 20th chapter, and the 21st verse, The Bible says that Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples by themselves, and then the Bible says he breathed on them, and after he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they received the Holy Spirit, and there wasn't this manifestation like there was in the second chapter of Acts, but the point was not, that was not the point. The point was he transferred what was in him to them he imparted the spirit that was in into his disciples to be able to equip and empower them to do what he had called them to do. So he spent 3 years training them, not but, but but when he left he after he trained them, he imparted his spirit into them to be able to do what what he called them to do. Now I want you to think of that in a practical sense. Part of discipleship is a transference of heart. Now stay with me for a second. Think about that for a second. Part of what I want to do when I disciple people is I don't just want to transfer my skills, and I don't. And there is a point of investment. I want to transfer a piece of me, a piece of my heart. I want to transfer my passion to my kids. I want to transfer. I don't just want to teach my kids how to live for God. It's. I mean, the first place you want to think about discipleship is in your home, right? It goes without saying. But I. I don't want my kids to just grow up and have a head knowledge of the gospel. I want to transfer a little bit of me. There's a, re- I, it's not coincidence that uh, my daughter Savannah is on a one-year uh, mission trip in Europe. That's not coincidence. It's not coincidence that when you, when you listen to my son preach, or you listen to him come up, that's not coincidence. I mean, he, there's a reason that he's better at my job than I am right now at 20 years old. There's a reason for that, because there's been a transference of spirit. And I'm telling you, that's not something that you're just like, okay, just do what I do. That's investment. Transference of spirit is a year, it's, it's a, a, a years and years. It's a year by year process. There's been years and years that my son and I have met in the foyer, or my daughter and I have met in the year and we prayed over each other. And then I get they haven't had the choice to not go to church. We show up for church. We get here early. And it, church is not about Baylor, Savannah. Church is not about you. Church is about the people that, that are going to be saved. Church is about this. is not about you. Being, you're going to serve. They've been serving in ministry since they've been seven years old. There's been a transfer. And, and it's not now. They love church. But there's been a transference of spirit. And that's what I'm telling you. That doesn't happen just by investment that happens with intentionality there's transference of a spirit let me ask you this what if you were intentional about what if we were intentional about what we, what we transferred into the lives of people around us what would discipleship look like? ask yourself that lastly Jesus sent his followers so Jesus recruited his followers he invested in his followers. He imparted into his followers. And lastly, Jesus sent out his followers. He equipped them and sent them. In Luke the 10th chapter, Jesus sends them out like a practice run, two by two. Another time he sent out 70 of his disciples to practice. But in Acts 1, he gave specific instructions. I'm leaving and I'll be back one of these days. Go and make disciples. And he tells them how to do it. But we can see today the significant effect that Jesus had with this discipleship process. And I've There's so much in this, and I hope that you took notes, but you can see the effects of the perfect example of discipleship, and you can't get this through an online course. You can't learn to disciple. You can't disciple people through a quick fix thing, express, online kind of thing. It takes investment from one person to another. Someone transfers a spirit. Someone transfers or imparts something. Somebody trains somebody, and it takes time. And you'll notice here that for us, what it looks like, we have, in our case, a mandate for changing the world. In other words, there is an incredible reason that God has called us to do that. There are people that have disciples and there are people that train people to do certain things and certain skills, but we have a a mandate to change the world. So what does this look like for us? Let Let me go back to this. Follow in the Greek means to be close. If you really look at the word, it just... Follow isn't just to go behind a person, but in the Greek, it means to be close, close in proximity. Here's what I want to say about this: Jesus's plan for discipleship was never about getting a group of people together, and you know, getting, getting this, getting something together where you just have people randomly. It was always about having relationships with people. Discipleship happens within the context of relationship. You can't disciple me if you don't love me. Are you hearing me? You can't disciple people if there is no love. Why? Because part of discipleship, part of what's involved in that is correction. If you're going to disciple me at some point in your life, you're going to have to correct me. If I disciple somebody at some point, part of that is to, is to say, hey, you're doing that wrong. And you can't correct somebody without a relationship. Let me give you an example. What if you are on a what if you, you know, you're out there, little league baseball, you got your seven-year-old girl out there, and somebody you don't know goes out there and just rings your daughter out, what are you gonna do? You're gonna go Medea on their behind, right? <laughs> you love the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they don't have a relationship. But if you but if your parents get on to your kid, they, that's okay. You can encourage that. It gives you a break, you know what I'm saying? Because there's relationship. Discipleship was always meant to be through the context of relationship. And here's what it looks like. It happens when the context of relationship. It happens within small groups. Acts 2 and 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is where discipleship happens within the context. Let me get very practical with well, just a few minutes that I have left. Let me get very practical in a modern setting what it looks like. And I'll, it, all, it goes back to this for Faith Go Church. Connect groups. I went all the way around to tell you that the most practical, the most impactful way to disciple someone within our context, within our lifestyle, within your lifestyle, is within a connect group. You don't have to get a Bible study together. You don't have to recruit people. You you already are a group of people. You just have to affect the lives of other people. You just have to be an example. And it takes time. Listen, relationships are built in time. Through trust. And if you're going to disciple people, have to, they have to gain your trust. Here's another thing. Knowing leads to loving. Discipleship happens within relationship. Relationship is based on trust and love, but knowing leads to loving. Who, let, let me ask you this, and I'm about to close. Who has the right to correct you? Who has the right, within the context of relationship, to say, hey, what you're doing in your family is wrong? And who in your life do you respect enough for somebody to say, you're going to mess up your marriage if you keep going down that route? Who can come over when you're doing something wrong, bang on your door and say, you and me, we're going for a ride? And then get, get in your truck with you and you drive down the road and they're saying, this is going to stop. What you're doing is going to stop. Who can do that in your life? Let me ask you this. Are you in a relationship with someone in your life within the context of a small group that you know and care enough about a person that you see some self-destructive things happening that you can go over to their house and you can say, hey, I see what you're doing. You and me, we're going for a ride. <laughs> and we're going to talk about this. And you're not leaving your wife. You're not leaving your husband. You're not leaving your kids. You're, you're not messing up. You're not going to start that bad habit. You're not going to do those things. Who in your life has the, ch- has, has the, the permission To do that in your life, who can disciple you? Disciple you. Amen? That is what discipleship looks like. It's not about Bible studies or prayer meetings. Yes, those are important, but discipleship is about relationship. Jesus walked with his disciples for three years. He had a relationship. That was a small group. That was a small group, and he would, man, he called Peter the devil a couple of times. He griped out, John and James, he told people he, he would ream them out, but he was discipling them. But it happened within the context of relationship. It happens within the context of a small group. That's Jesus' plan for discipleship. It was always meant to be through relationship and small groups. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to close. Let me ask you so, something. Are you making disciples with your life? Your life was meant to make a difference a lot of times we think, well, making a difference is going down and volunteering for, you know, the local kitchen, or it's about what we do with Bikes for Kids. That's what making a difference is about. Yeah, that's, that's an element of making a difference. But the biggest way that you can make a difference is through the life of one person. By being an example. I really believe that there are people that have been a part of my ministry that I sold into their life that I thought, I could be wasting my time here. <laughs> it felt like that. It's a complete waste of time. I just spent a year with this person. And then when they finally did get it, I saw God do some incredible things through their lives. Call me up years later. I mean, it's, it's been a long road with, with some of my kids, you know. You think, man, I, I don't think they're hearing me then they do something like, you think, you know, what you talk to them about, this, it's just like it happened. The greatest difference that you can make in this world is to disciple somebody. Because your impact might be small. Jesus impacted 12 disciples, but how did he impact the world through those 12 disciples? If he would have just come up, made it, you know, come into the world, made it about him, this is me, I'm the Lord, I'm the Savior of the world, you know, this is, you know, I'm going to have services, I'm going to do all this thing. Well, it would have been incredible. He would have still been divine in God, but he didn't do that. Yes, he did that, but he didn't just do that. He gathered 12 people together and said, okay, I'm going to leave one of these days, but I'm going to show you how to change the world, and I'm going to show you how to do it for the rest of time. And that's what he's called us to do. So I want to ask you again, are we making disciples? Are we being discipled? It's very clear. One thing, do one thing, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's what Jesus called us to do. Very clear. As a church, this is something that he's called us to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and thank you for the opportunity. And Lord, as I was reading this passage, as I was putting this message together I felt very convicted of my life what am I doing to make disciples I'm doing a lot to build a church I'm doing a lot to put services together I'm doing a lot for a lot of different areas that I believe that is serving you but what you asked me to do more than anything is to make disciples so with that in mind Lord, I I deliver this message to your church. And I pray, Lord, that as it goes forth, it touches every life and it brings about change. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be receptive to this and we won't walk away from this and forget about it. But we'll take this and we will apply it to everyday lives in Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed, maybe you hear And this message is ringing true in your ears that God is speaking to you right now. Travis, God is speaking to me about making disciples. And I'm not sure how to do it. I've got got some information or whatever. But God is dealing with me right now. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. We We don't have to raise our hands or anything. But if you really feel strongly about that because it only takes a few people to change the world. You don't know what God might do in your life if you make a decision to just do what he said to do. <laughs> just make disciples. We don't, maybe there are people here today that God is going to use you to reach your world and on your path to making disciples, you reach a person that is a game changer. What if that happens and it's because you decided to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples? I want to pray with you in agreement right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for these that, Lord, that are receptive to what you want to say. And I thank you, Lord, that you are going to deal with us not just today but in the next week about this commandment. And I specifically pray, Lord, that as we've received knowledge, Lord, that we will put to practice what we have received, Lord. Because your word says, blessed are those that don't just do don't just hear the word, but do the word. May we do this word. May we fulfill your calling that you've given to us to make disciples. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, same man, If you'll continue to bow your heads, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, for some reason you've never given your life to Christ, or at some point you walked away from the Lord, whatever the case may be, if you're here today and you showed up on a day like this, God is speaking to you today to give your life to him. I don't want to miss this moment. So I'd love to lead you in a prayer. I'd like to pray all together. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I'm not going to ask you to stand, come down here, single you out. I just want to pray just the way we prayed. But if I'm going to pray this prayer, I want to know if I'm praying for people who are are serious about giving their life to Christ. So between you, me, and God, if you could say, Travis, today I'd like to give my life to Christ. If you'll pray, I'm going to pray with you right now. Put your hand up and put it down so I know I'm going to be praying. For... Can anybody say that? I see your hand in the back, back there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Travis, I'm going to give my life to Christ today. All right, we're going to pray. I don't know if I saw everybody. I know we had at least one, so we're going to pray. And as we pray, let's all pray together. If you lifted your hand, repeat this prayer, mean it. Give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father. As I'm before you today, I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and wash me clean and whole. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this special day for those that have given their life to you. And Lord, make it real in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Well, welcome to the family. If you gave your life to Christ,